Welcome to the Suicide Prevention Movement. We are making suicide, especially teen suicide, a thing of the past. That's our mission. One of our ways of bringing our mission out into the world is with the Suicide Prevention Show. And I'm your host, Jackie Simmons. When it comes to suicide prevention, one of the words that comes to mind is strength, but not often does also the word come to mind, the word no. So I'd like you all to help me welcome to the studio our next guest, Batista Grimaud. And we're gonna be talking about owning your power, including your power, your strength to say no. All right, so a little tech magic and Batista can unmute and turn on video and there she is, yay. Hi. Hi, Batista, I am super excited that you are on the show today. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me. I'm feeling very honored to be here today to share my story and any hope, perhaps. <laughs> there we go, sharing a little hope. So start with the story because I, I, I love that banner over your shoulder, Dr. Fitness USA. Well, that's not you. However, that's a man that changed your life. When I was writing up the intro for the show that went out in the invitation through social media this morning, I realized your story is one that so many people have lived, but not everyone has learned to love their way through it. And that's the story of having a dream that sort of got taken away in part of your life. You know, you didn't choose to give up being a flamenco dancer. And so when you shared that with me, I thought, wow, how many of us have these bumps that we don't know how to let go enough to get through and move on from. So feel free, take over and share your story with us. Well, thank you. So I'm gonna be very transparent with what, how, and the reasons why I became so interested in, um, in uh, the power of exercise for mental health, okay? Because I think that that's one of the reasons why I'm here today to share my story. And I will backtrack a little bit and take you through the journey to where it started and where I'm now. I, um, I'm from Switzerland. I, brought, I was brought up in an environment of uh, the arts. My mother was a ballet dancer. My father was a mime. And that is all I dreamed of doing my entire life was to be a dancer. I loved to dance. I loved the, the beauty of it. And I loved the feeling of being able to transcend the mind and the body and to, to aspire for beauty. Uh, there was a lot of dysfunction in my family. My, my brother became um, brain damaged as a young child. My sister became schizophrenic at the age of 20 years old. There was a lot of uh, paranormal uh, things that were happening in the home. 
there were uh, um, spiritual psychosis, a lot of dysfunction. My mother ended up in a mental institution. My father jumped out the window when I was 12 years old, broke all oh my his God. bones. I know you didn't know all that, did you? No. <laughs> and yeah, and uh, subsequently he um, was on medication his whole life. Uh, he died uh, nine years ago with dementia and um, um, I've had a little bit of a tragic upbringing and when I was <laughs> when I was 16 and I looked at all the dysfunction in my environment I decided that I didn't want to be like them I wanted to be sane I wanted to have a good life and I felt like if I was going to stay there, we lived in a small town in, in Switzerland where everybody know each other and everybody know each other's story. If you've ever been in a small uh, village, well, it's not a village, but you know, it's kind of like that. And so I felt like I just didn't want to spend my life like that. And I love to dance. So what I did is I picked up my bags and I left home to pursue my career as a flamenco dancer. And uh, so I moved to Spain, I studied flamenco and um, which I loved. Uh, that was, even though I was brought up as a ballet dancer, I, I fell in love with flamenco dancing. And um, when I reached my early twenties, I ended up having a series of car accidents. Now. You know, in, in my world, I do believe that our inner um, landscape kind of affects our outer circumstances. So when people say, well, are you a bad driver? If I wasn't even the one driving. I mean, I wasn't the one causing the accidents. It's like things kept happening. I had nine car accidents in a matter of two years time. And, uh, you know, like, uh, things kept happening, like the steering box in my new car broke, a truck truck tipped over and landed on my car. I got rear-ended. It was just, just a series of things. And um, what, I, what I failed to, to mention at that point is with all the dysfunction as a teenager, I uh, myself escaped through a pre pretty uh, heavy um, alcohol and drug addiction. Mm. And um, in all these accidents that I had in my early 20s, in a way, was like a wake up, wake up, wake up call, because at the time, I realized that something needed to change in my own life. And I started on a spiritual journey, looking for answers, okay. So I continued to dance professionally, even though I was seriously injured. I had tried, I, I tried everything over the years to heal my injuries and um, whether- I'm gonna just pause you just a minute there. Yes. When you say I tried everything, can you give us just an overview of what were the things that you tried that, that you got some results from or no results from, but what is everything? Okay, good question. So the first thing that happens when you get injured in a car accident, you go to therapy and then you go through the legal procedure of going to the doctor and doing all the things that the medical uh, 
profession would uh, tell you to do. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say I want your story, Batista. How many doctors did you go to? Uh, well, after nine car accidents, I think that I've seen at least uh, a dozen different doctors. Whether it was um, well, all kinds, you know, and then there was all the lawsuits and all the things. It was just, you know, so that was the beginning of it. Uh, yeah, and that lasted a few years. The last car accident that I had, it was a brand new car I had. It was a Jeep. The steering box broke. It was a malfunction, a malfunctioning of the car. And um, interestingly enough, the day before the accident, I was stopped for not wearing a seatbelt. So I got a ticket for not wearing a seatbelt. And so the next day I had the car accident. I was wearing a seatbelt and it, it saved my life. So, you know, it, there's wow. no accident. Yeah. But nevertheless, none of the lawsuit came through. Um, people said I wasn't, I didn't die or I didn't end up with, um, I wasn't paralyzed or anything, so I would never win any cases. And so I was getting nowhere and I had to take my life back into my hands. I couldn't continue to go through the system of, of trying, whatever. And that's when I started on a spiritual quest of trying to find answers. And I became very interested in comparative religion, in the power of the mind, in quantum physics and um, to, tr to, to try to find the answers to my own, to my own um, demons, to tame my own demons, but also to, you know, why did my family turn out the way they did, right? And um, I love to dance. So regardless of all the injuries, okay, let me backtrack, I didn't finish. Past the, past the legal doctor and everything, throughout the next 35 years in order to continue to be able to dance regardless of all my injuries. My life consisted in uh, seeing a chiropractor three times a week, having regular massages, doing acupuncture, acupressure, uh, different types of movement therapy, different types of um, metaphysical healing, Reiki, hands-on healing, uh, positive thinking, you name it. When I say I've tried everything, that's what I mean. Uh, from the uh, medical perspective, from the alternative uh, medicine perspective, and then from the mind perspective, okay? That was my life. So by, by uh, profession, I, I dance, I'd be uh, traveling, dancing, I had a dance company, a dance studio, an arts education program. I was working seven days a week, nonstop. The show must go on. No pain, no gain. You got to push through. Whoa. And uh, by uh, uh, every time I had free time, I was or at a doctor or doing some therapy or in meditation. That was my life. Or with an ice pack. <laughs> that, was, that was my life. Okay. Thank you. Oh my yeah. God. I'm sure there are some people listening who can relate where their physical health has just taken over every minute of the day. Yeah. So forget uh, socializing, forget, you know, forget a lot of things, right? So one day I had a moment of clarity. I was in a meditation class and I had spent 35 years like that 
35 years of wait of of um you know dancing meditating and at some type of therapy that was it you know in pain and wow so i'm thinking 35 years on ice is a great title for you <laughs> <laughs> with ice packs you know? wow okay yeah yeah All right. So yeah, maybe 30 years because it started when I was 20 and uh, actually I met Stephen, I was 48. So how many years that is? That's, that's, <laughs> that's good. Okay. So that's enough. Yeah. yeah so enough. let me continue. Yeah. That's enough. Yeah, plenty of years. So one day I, I woke up, I had a moment of clarity in a meditation class and I looked around and I looked at myself and I said, here you are learning all these things about spirituality, about becoming whole, about body-mind-spirit integration, you know, all the good stuff that we learn in spirituality. And here you are, hurt, the, my back against the wall. So where, where is the body in the body-mind-spirit integration? Where is my body? My body is not anywhere in that equation Ooh. right because i mean think about it we are professional we're successful but if your body is non-functioning then there is no balance in on any level it's like if you have a tripod and one leg is broken forget the tripod is gonna tip right mm. And then I looked around and I saw beautiful people in the room and, um, and I looked around and I see a lot of pain, whether it's pain, emotion, emotional pain, physical pain, everybody in that room, I saw that they were in the same boat than I was, you know, really the, 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 the third leg of the tripod, like really broken. And I said, there's a piece of that puzzle missing. We need to really stop looking outside of our body, of ourselves, and we need to start looking inside to see what we can do to really regain our, our physical health. And that night, I organized a, a huge group meditation. We did mock-up boards. We prayed. We lit candles. We did a lot of things. And the focus on, of that meditation was to find the piece of the puzzle missing so we could regain our power and regain our power uh, on our body. Mm -hmm. Re reclaim our body, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, the next day, that's when I met Dr. Fitness USA. <laughs> yeah. So it was a sign. So uh, I was at a restaurant where I was supposed to put a, a, a show for the, for the restaurant. And Stephen came to, to lunch there and we made eye contact and he came and kind of talked to me at, at my table where I was waiting for the owner. And he said, well, who are you? And I said, well, I'm Batista. And he said, well, who are you? And I said, who are you? And he says, I'm an international body designer. And my jaw dropped and I said, that's what I need. <laughs> so okay, that's got to go on record for the shortest sales conversation ever. 
you know? <laughs> I think so. Well, I, I didn't hire him like immediately. It took a little bit of time to, because the next thing he wanted to see my body. And I said, what do you mean you want to see my body? Uh, so, <laughs> you know, so I didn't like do it right away. It took about a month, but I started listening to his conversation and everything that I heard ab about everything that he was saying was different. And it was not only about the, the, the strength training and the, the physicality of the exercise program that he was offering, but also about the philosophy behind it. Okay, he was telling me things like, as a woman, you have to work out from a female perspective. What does it mean? And how does lifting weight fit in that equation? Because to me, lifting weight was more of a masculine sport. Mm -hmm. And also saying things like never to do anything that's uncomfortable. And that didn't seem to fit with the weightlifting either because I was so hurt. I couldn't lift anything. That was painful. So I didn't understand any of, any of it. Um, also things like as a woman, I have to stop giving and learn to receive. They were, they were a little... <laughs> I'm not going, yeah, and what planet are you on, buddy? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Okay. But I was desperate. Mm. I prayed for it, and there it was. So I hired him. And at the time, we were work he was working one-on-one -on -one in the gym environment mm -hmm. and with pretty heavy weight on my first session with him. I was leg pressing 350 pounds. Not bad for somebody who can't lift anything. Exactly. I was um, able to do chest pressing with 25 pounds dumbbells mm -hmm. without pain. I couldn't move my shoulder, understand. It didn't make sense. Nothing made sense. But I did it, and within a week, my backache was gone. Gone. And within a... A month, my shoulder was healed, and pretty soon all my injury healed. So I married him. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> That's like the best punchline ever. He healed me, and then I married him. I think that's a good qualification for a guy. I mean, you know, <laughs> hey, you know, if you're a guy and you're listening to this, just realize we've we've raised the bar here. If you want a woman to marry you, you might have to figure out healing first. Yeah, I mean, oh my God, what a story. Yeah, so that started a whole new journey for me, okay? Because I started researching the, the methods. I started being very intrigued. Why does this work? And why did other things not work? And so I spent the last eight years, the, the uh, next eight years, Writing uh, two books, I wrote two books through my research. I started to, to really, I became a personal trainer to see what the difference was. I, um, I started training people for him. And then I started designing the programs for him and then comparing to see how, how does he think and why, how he thinks make it work and how I think doesn't make, you, you know. So I spent a lot of time trying to figure it out. And um, 
And through all this research, and I'm going to tie it in now with the mental, with mental health, is through all my research, I started coming across uh, research that have been done about exercise for mental health mm-hmm. and uh, for neuromuscular or uh, neurodegenerative diseases, for addiction recovery. And then I started seeing all these things that actually have been researched. And this is when, for me, it started connecting the dots mm-hmm. that I was actually looking for from when I left home as a teenager with all the dysfunctionality in my family through my journey to come to a place where now I, I start to really grasp the power of the message. Because you see, when we grew up, we were, we were dancers. My sister was a dancer, but we were in the no pain, no gain. We were in the, you know, we were in that mode. And so just, yeah, you want to say something? Well, I'm thinking that the mode that you're talking about is this, it hurts to be pretty. You have to pay your dues. You have to keep going and keep going even if it hurts. This is a, um, listening to you, I'm going to call it a mythology. You know, it's a myth but it's a very socially pervasive myth. The idea of no pain, no gain. And, and that's not what you're living now. Absolutely not. Now, I, uh, if something is uncomfortable, I just simply won't do it. We'll find a way to do it, to go around it. Because if it's uncomfortable, you see, in the fitness industry, if it's uncomfortable, they tell you oh, it's because you're out of shape. So you got to just, when you get stronger, you get in better shape, then it won't hurt anymore. But it's not so, you know, because you can always find a way to enter the body in a way where it won't hurt. Now, let me make a disclaimer here, because Mm -hmm. if you're a professional athlete, like an Olympian or, you know, you're doing a sport, then Mm -hmm. you, then it's a little bit of a different story because the show must go on. Okay, right. here I'm talking for, for, from a, a different... For the, for the non-professional, the individual, the normal people like me. Yes, yes. Yeah. And okay. yeah, and even the professional, if they had a strength training program that they could do three times a week to keep their body into balance, then they would have less likely chances to get hurt. Okay, that's mm-hmm. just saying, right? But here I'm talking, yeah, okay, because... Yeah, uh, <laughs> but for the, for the general person, for the person that just wants to be healthy, that wants to have a good mindset, that wants to have longevity, that wants to become younger, not older through the years, right? That that's who I'm talking to. And, and even the teenagers that are suffering, because we are on your uh, teen suicide prevention, what I'm saying is, you know, they say alcohol, alcoholism is a family disease. And I, I'm, I don't want to step my boundary, but if alcoholism is a um, family disease, do you think that suicide is a family disease too? 
One of the suicide risk indicators that I identified doing the research for my TEDx talk is if you know someone who's tried or died, you yourself are now more at risk. And the reason is that when someone takes their own life, they're actually giving tacit approval to everyone who knows them to leave the same way. So it's not a genetic, it's a village impact, which is why prior to our current time in history, suicide was a crime. It was actually considered self-murder and it was a crime. And the reason it was a crime was because of the damage it did to the entire community. Oh. Now we live in an age of personal self-empowerment, personal self-expression, personal everything. And the challenge with that is that suicide keeps on going in a ripple effect. It is not an isolated event. It's a rock dropping into a pond. And so it's not just the family. It's, and this is what I identified and why on the back of the book, it says if 3000 teens each day are attempting to take their own lives, then 6,000 parents are beginning to live the nightmare that I lived as the mother of a teen suicide attempt survivor. And they don't even know it, but they've just been pushed into a higher risk group for suicide themselves. And if 6,000 or more parents have been pushed into that higher risk group, 24,000 or more grandparents, countless siblings, cousins, classmates, friends, teachers, have all now been put into a higher risk group. So is it a family situation? Yeah, and a village. Wow. Yeah, I just flashed back. Actually, my grandmother committed suicide and uh, one of my uncle, I, you know, it's funny. I just totally forgot about that until you mentioned this ripple effect of things. Interesting, yeah. So I, uh, I, um, where what I'm thinking is a as a solution from where I'm sure there is many solutions. I mean, you know, it's not one solution. Okay. But yeah. one thing this is one doorway to prevention. That's what we're looking for. On this show, especially, we're not looking for intervention because that's the realm of professionals. We're looking for how many doorways can we offer for people to prevent ever getting near the ledge. So open the door for us, Batista. Go. Yeah, for it. you see, I think that it, it is fabulous because uh, with the research that I found, there are certain principles when you exercise. First of all, we know that exercise is good for the body, for the mind, for everything. But if they, if you can do it with certain principles. First of all, the principle of grounding the body, because when the body is grounded, the body is safe and it quiets the mind, right? So we're looking for that brain muscle connection where we can just kind of get, get out of the thinking mode and mm -hmm. just get back into our center, but not only by thinking about it, but by feeling it, okay? And, and what not better way to do it than with weightlifting because 
you know, we always say when you lift weight, it's like between you and, and God, because the, the weight is going to go up or it's going to go down. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> right? It's that moment where you, you know, you just got to, you, you really become very present with your own body because you're, you're lifting weight, right? It's an immediate call to focus. And we know that in the moment of focus is the moment of clarity about a bunch of things because the brain is quiet. Exactly. Cool. All right. But there's more because there. now it's been proven. It's been proven that it actually has the power to recreate new neurons in the brain and to reconnect brain connections that might have been damaged. Awesome. It's, it is. That's pretty amazing research that the brain that has been damaged can heal. This goes against what was common knowledge not all that long ago before they started creating this concept of neuroplasticity, which has only been around since like 2017. You know, I mean, this is amazing and, and not something that I had heard, but it makes perfect sense that if you're working both sides of the body, you're naturally starting the reconnection of the two sides of the brain. Yes, and it's been proven that I recently uh, read a research that was, that was done on uh, elderly people that were doing strength training by increasing their strength through the legs. They were able to reverse and even prevent Alzheimer. It was focused on Alzheimer, but then it's neurodegenerative disease. Mm -hmm. So it, it's now it's been proven through research. So this is very exciting. Very. Okay, this is very exciting, and uh, it's very exciting because it gives hope that whether it's alcoholism, whether it's there is a brain a brain chemistry that is the disconnections, right? Depression, and that relates to suicide, uh, depression. It's, the, it's those brain connections that are maybe not connecting or damaged or, mm. or there's, there's flow that is not reaching the brain. There is something that's not in balance. So if you have a tool that can help in healing that part of the body and the brain, then mm -hmm. I think that, that we, could have, we could have a piece of that puzzle that, that is missing right now. Because I know there's a lot of therapies and there is a lot of things, but to really think that we have the power to do something physically mm -hmm. ourselves to, to, help the, um, to help the condition. So my, my, the, the way I look at it is, you know, it's in the family have the encourage the parents to pick up the the strength training to build their strengths to lead by example you know because it starts in the home mm -hmm. right i mean we're all affected by the way we grew up i mean you know i you never forget like i, ne I never forget my upbringing with all the dysfunction even though I left and, you know, but it stays with you forever. But if you can find a place where you can find healing and, um, and, um, and I think there's a lot of power in that. So my, 
my purpose and um, my mission mm -hmm. is to bring about that knowledge because I think it's over it's overlooked tremendously when we talk about fitness most people just literally think about fitness just to look good lose weight um, you know but they don't look at it for a, a full integration of the whole being you know and I think that we need to change the way of thinking about it I do think that shifting back to where it's not a personal choice but it is a family journey where mm -hmm. it's not the individually, you know, um, self-actualized. That was a big word, you know, a couple of decades ago. And it created a lot of tragedy because people thought that it was just me. I'm the only one impacted by this. And it rips the fabric of a family. It rips the fabric of a village. And what you're talking about with your family and what you just shared with us that you had forgotten about, which is, oh my God, the previous generation was suicidal. Oh, now we have another layer of how did that impact my family? Mm -hmm. How much of the dysfunction in my family was, could actually be traced back to the trauma of the suicides of the previous generation? Um, we will never know for sure, but we know there is this ripple effect that there is a ripping of the emotional, the social emotional fabric in life when someone takes their own life. And that's the power that most people don't recognize. Um, you have a gift and I'm gonna have Katie go ahead and drop it because I think that this understanding of the strength to say no, that no matter what, I mean, we're talking here about relapse. We're talking about different kinds of addictions is how it is framed. And I will tell you, we are all addicted to something. You know, it doesn't have to be one of the big four. It doesn't have to be alcohol and drugs or sex or gambling or work. Those are the ones that everybody talks about. But you could be addicted to being right. You know, you could be addicted to playing a game. You could be, an, an addictive behavior in my world is anything that, provides a separation that puts a distance between you and other people that interferes with your connection with other people, that's an addiction. And so understanding if you are ready for better connections with other people, try these things that will keep you from being triggered into more dysfunction. So um, those are coming. Oh, there they are. Yay, Katie, it's magic. Yeah. This is an important conversation because it is a family thing. It is a village thing. It's not an isolated thing. And I'm gonna go on a two minute rant because people 40 and younger are the only people I have ever heard say this, but it sent ice water through my veins. There's a lexicon of new language coming. And one of the expressions of the day is to refer to suicide as self-deleting, like you're hitting the delete key on a keyboard. In this age of violent video games, in this age of things being easy, in this age of being able to Google what's the fastest, most painless way to die, you know, we are in the age where people are considering this self-deleting as though it has zero impact 
on the world. And if we could just get that message out, Patisa, that what you do is not just you, it impacts everyone around you. Whether we're talking suicide, whether we're talking an addictive behavior, whether we're talking neglecting your body to the point that it breaks down on you, it's not just about you. It impacts everyone around you. And so what if you made a different choice today? What if today you did something good for you, knowing that you were doing something good for your family, knowing that you were doing something good for your village, knowing that you were doing something good for the world simply by being good to you? Wouldn't that change our attitude on self-care? So thank you for letting me rant. Yeah, that, that was profound, actually, because that's what we teach. You know, it's like that when, when I uh, first met Stephen, he said, you, you have to learn to stop giving as a woman and to receive. And, and in a sense, I'm thinking, well, what do you mean? But it's what you're saying. It's the self-care, because if you don't take care of yourself first, then you have nothing to give, you know? And, uh, and I notice, and it's, it's kind of common, and I, and I am the same way, you know, as women, and, you know, we're talking about women now, but it applies to men too, but as women, we, we, we tend to be givers, mm -hmm. right? So we want to save the world. We're givers, we do, we take care of the children, we work, we, we you know, and then a lot of times we forget that we also need to step back and receive. And the first receiving is by giving to yourself. It's the self-love. And when we do that for ourselves, then we lead as an example to the family, to the to other people. It's like when your cup is full, then you have more to give to other people than when your cup is empty. And that is why when people say, Oh, I have no time to work out, or I have no time. I have to get my website done first, or when my business picks up, or when I make my next money, or where my children go to college, or when you know we hear all the excuses. Mm -hmm. But that's that's the disease right there. You know. Oh yeah, the power of excuses. Right. Oh my goodness! I wonder if you could be addicted to excuses. Wouldn't that be an interesting thing to explore? All right. Well, I'm sure you can. You can be addicted to excuses, to uh, relationship, to stress, to, to uh, you know, anything, to drama, to why, why not be, that's procrastination, right? Getting excuses to not do the things that, that are beneficial. And it's not always easy, but I want to point out something about something that I learned with the system that we teach mm -hmm. is when you can increase your strength so dramatically and your body is grounded and feeling safe, mm -hmm. what also happens is you strengthen the nervous system. So I like to compare the nervous system to an electrical panel in your house. If it's outdated and you plug in too many appliances, then you're gonna blow a fuse. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So stress, addiction, depression, all these things that we do, it's like is 
overloading our nervous system. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then you want to get in shape. So you go and you got to do more and you do, 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 do. It's like plugging in too many appliances on an already outdated nervous system. So when you can reverse that and work out in a way where it's very healing, very empowering, there's nothing uncomfortable, but you're able to increase your strength so dramatically, it's like rewiring your house. It's like rewiring your nervous system, okay? And when you can do that, then physical strength and emotional strength go together. So when mm -hmm. you can do this, it helps with depression, it helps with mood behaviors, it helps with self-esteem, it helps with self-confidence. It's like literally rewiring your house, right? And so this is something that is a key component of the difference between what the Dr. Fitness USA's program does versus fitness in general because it does address rewiring the nervous system, stress management, and of course, postural alignment, because posture and mood behavior has also been shown to be connected. Oh yeah, we know that because if you strike the Wonder Woman pose, it changes your physiology and it actually yeah. changes. All right, so we've got a special gift for everybody. All right, so, and it's not a gift. This one costs a dollar. All right, I'm giving everybody the heads up. This is something that is normally $97. We don't usually do things that cost money when we give gifts out, but for a dollar, it seemed like a good bet. So you can get a strength training group program, a master class with Batista and Steven. He's always part of it. And it is only $1. So joinusm.com is where you will find the link to the next class. I highly recommend it. I'm using their program. My daughter, Katie, who runs the tech for this, is using their program. You know, this is the, I don't usually recommend anything if I am not currently using it and getting good results from it. And when it comes to suicide prevention, rewiring the brain away from what's being wired into us with the current negative echo chamber that we are living with, with the news and the conversations is a good thing. So I highly recommend it. The link is in the chat. I did not make it a hyperlink. Oh, Katie, would you take care of that? Um, and we will be happy to see you there. So, Batista, thank you once again for being willing to share your time, share your story, and share your strength and resilience with us. Well, thank you. I, uh, it was such an honor to be here. And um, if you can say one life, Right. <laughs> we know that anyone listening to this has a little bit more of a buffer between mm -hmm. them and the ledge. And that's all we're looking for. Sometimes that's all it takes. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you.